The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Well, hello, I'm Katie Maloney, and you probably know me from a little show called Banner Bumber Rolls. I've been labeled all kinds of things, a bitch, a bully, and a mean girl. But there is so much more to a person than what you see on TV. Tune in every Friday as I talk to some of my friends and castmates, celebrities, comedians, medical professionals, and maybe some political figures. And by the time we're done, you're going to love me. I'm not in the mood. Do we have to do this? Yes. Wait, are we recording? Okay, let's go. You're listening to The Allie Colbert Show. Hi, Eric. Hi, Allie. I have been watching your TikToks recently. And when did you blow up on TikTok? I don't know. Do you consider me blown up on TikTok with this amount of followers? With 200,000, is it? 300,000.6. Yeah, I think that's like pretty substantial. Okay, cool. No, I, I just never know where the bar is, you know, for that stuff. I mean, it's pretty good, I would say. I, I mean, if that's if having more followers is good, it's pretty good. Okay. I'm no Charlie D'Amelio. I know that. She has as many people following her that like as people living in like the continent. So I wouldn't. No, it's insane. It's like so crazy how like, cause like, I think um, that's the thing. It's like, I thought I was doing well. Like I feel really good. And then like, I looked at, and then of course you got to find a way to discourage yourself as a comedian, yeah. right? You have to, you have to undercut it. every achievement. So, so I was just looking through, so in order to make me, but, but I, that's how I work. That's how I realized my brain works. I don't know if you, I assume because you're Jewish, you probably have a similar way of doing uh, very unhealthy. I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Now let me just go through Dixie and Charlie D'Amelio's TikTok page and just feel really bad at nighttime. I'm listening. I'm letting my dog out of the room because she's hysterical. I, I've done the same thing. But have you seen their Hulu show? No, no, I won't watch that. I will not, I will not watch that because that'll make me feel too good because I'll realize they're probably idiots and then I'm going to feel good about myself and I don't want to do that. They're actually like really authentic and down to earth. But what's weird about them is how... I'm, and this isn't from the Hulu show. This is from just looking at their TikTok. They're not, I mean, from the videos I've seen of this girl, Charlie D'Amelio, it's not like her dancing is like incredible. She's just like, and, and the, the other weird thing is like, she doesn't have a, she's, she's 16, right? Or something. So all of these followers, like, you know, they're sexualizing her and they're like trying to like fuck her, which is like even weirder. Like TikTok is like such a home for pedophiles. Yeah, it basically, was, you're a pedophile, Eric. Yeah, no, no, I know, I know. Well, that's the thing. That's why I'm it's glad like, I took it in this direction. That, that's where that's why that's when I realized it was the app for me. Um, yeah, yeah, no, but the thing is, is like it's weird. Like when I headline now, I've been opening with this joke because I've been I've been like when I'm touring around, a lot of TikTok people show up and like. I is that true? They they translate to audience members. I was wondering that. 
So I'm still like experimenting. I'm in the early phases of this because now I'm like starting to string together all these touring tour dates. But I know that I went to Raleigh, North Carolina, which is mm-hmm. not where I thought I had any fans really. And like I sold like 150 tickets on a Thursday. And you attribute that to TikTok? A lot of it. Like I asked, like I literally went on stage and I was like, who knows who you from TikTok or Instagram? And like, it was like a lot of the crowd. So I was, wow. yeah, which is really cool to see, you know? And, and the thing is about me and like everybody like tries to get followers doing whatever they want to do in whatever specific way they want to get them. But like I use standup clips, like that's me because of that. Everybody who follows me is a standup, like is a fan of my standup. Like some people like, like I have other friends who like get their followers, like doing like stupid, you know, not stupid. Like I'm not discrediting them, but just like, like a, a big woman falls in like a snowstorm, you know, it's like, she likes some people are getting all these followers from fat people falling and you're getting them from art. I know, but, but fat people falling is art. (laughs) But the videos like in particular, it hasn't been, and maybe this is only the clips I've seen. It's, it's your crowd work is what they're like obsessed with. And it's mainly you unearthing like interesting things from the crowd and then like doing something with it. Like you're not necessarily making fun of them so much as like, you'll find an an interesting like revelation in like the audience. Is that? Yeah, I, I think so. Well, the thing is, is like, I definitely like, lightly roast everyone but it's Mm -hmm. never it's never at least intended to be in like a mean way or whatever like I I never liked those comics that like were really mean to crowd members like I'm like yo these people are like paying to be here and then like you're talking about the fact they're fat or ugly like it's like it's like I don't know it just seems like super distasteful to me but like I try to just like like my style, and this is just sort of who I am, is like I've always been interested in like hearing about people's lives and like interesting facts about them. So like I really genuinely just want to know about people. And like what's good about it is like I can now, right? Like I get on stage and I can like talk to whoever I want. So sometimes they're boring as fuck, but like most of the time I'll at least find something really interesting And then I just want to sort of dig deeper into it and like, just find like the truth about it. And the thing, as I'm growing as like a person and a standup, I don't really hold back as far as like what I believe and like what I think is the right and wrong thing. And I'm not, obviously it's just my opinion, but like, I'm very, I'm pretty open about how I feel pretty honest. So like the other day, genuinely, I was just like, there was a couple in the crowd and I was like, I was like, how long have you guys been dating? And they're like, oh, we're married. I'm like, married? How old are you guys? And they're like, 22. I'm like, why? And so like, I think back in the day, I might've just sort of like shied away from that. But I genuinely think you're a moron if you get married at 22. So I'm going to say that. And the crowd like cracked up because they're like, yeah, that is insane. And so what's been great about this is that like, I'm hosting at the cellar most nights of the week and they tape every show. So if I have a good moment, I ask for a tape, I get the tape, I post it. And what's great about it is like, we've been friends a long time. Like I love jokes. I'm obsessed with joke writing, but I don't have to burn any of my material. Like I'm literally just like posting crowd work clips, getting a fan base and then quietly writing a new 45 minutes, which I'm actually filming at the cell taping at the cellar late October. 
Really? Yeah, I'm doing two shows at McDougal, 5 p.m. shows, Saturday and Sunday, October 23rd, 24th. And it's going to... Oh my God, that's so exciting. Yeah, I can't wait. So it's going to be like, you know, a new 45 of just sort of like, I went through a a long-term relationship breakup recently and like, and and I'm going to talk a lot about the aftermath of that and how I've changed and all that stuff. And then I'm going to do a lot of crowd work too, like just because that's sort of like my new style. I like, because I'm headlining a lot now and I'm basically... Like most 99% of my experiences on stage now are like either I'm either hosting or headlining. So because of that, now my style has sort of transformed into uh, like material into crowd work, crowd work back to material. Like it's sort of like a whole, like it's evolved into that kind of. So it's going to be, I think that this new special is going to sort of like, you know, just sort of like represent that more than it has, you know? Do you have a name for the special yet? No, I don't. I'm thinking about it. You know, I, my first my first album special was called Nervous Lover. And so I've always been like, I've always sort of like, I don't know, considered having like a sequel album name, slightly more competent lover. But I don't think I don't think this is going to represent this new hour, you know, I guess, like, accurately. So I yeah. think I'm going to go with something else. But I'm, I'm really not sure what I do is I like, always record it first because this would be my third like I did one on the rooftop during the pandemic at New York Comedy oh yeah that's right yeah so this would be my third and like like I did with that one I recorded it and then listened to it a hundred times and then sort of just let it come to me you know the name of it yeah I don't try to put too much pressure because sometimes like I, I feel like naming it first is like it sounds like a cool idea in theory, but it never, like, I feel like you just have to feel it, you know? Yeah. No, that makes sense. What was the one of the most interesting moments that you unearthed in this new era for you doing tons of crowd work? Oh, man. Is there something that comes to mind? You know, I, I hate to be, I hate to be this person because I often think that most of the best moments or jokes don't go as viral and, 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 and like you, 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 you have jokes in your set, right? Where you're like, you're like, these are my favorite jokes, but they're just not crowd pleasers. Like they just don't kill as hard, you know, mm-hmm. and usually something that's like darker or like more personal that people can't relate to quite as much. But I have to point to like this clip that went like so viral on TikTok. I think it's at like almost 20 million views. I discovered that a couple in the front row, like I asked them if they were a couple they were clearly on a date because they were like holding hands and touching. And she revealed to me that the guy she was with had sex with her mom. And so like that. So How I did just, she, what, what does that mean? I was like, are you guys a couple? She's like, well, it's weird. I was like, why is it weird? She's like, well, he had sex with my mom. And then, and then I, I like kind of like went deeper into that. And it became this like, I mean, it went, it, it was like on all these like apps and like, just like, it just sort of blew up like crazy. And so that I, I have to, I have to, you know, I guess give it to that one just because of the sheer, like, you know, popularity from it. But like, well, now I need to watch that. What actually happened? They were studying abroad in college. And I guess the mom came for a weekend and things were weird between them at the time. And the mom like hit on him. And then when she went back and went to bed or something, he like fucked mom like oh my god it's insane like absolutely insane and sometimes i think like crowd members are like faking funny stories like 
But I, I may know. Yeah. I think this was real. Like it felt pretty genuine to me. So like, I was like, that's really disturbing. Yeah. It was so disturbing, but it was, it was really, but that's the beauty of stand up, Like, and that's like one of the, is that some people fuck other people's moms. That's exactly. truly what makes it so. Mm. Oh God. It should happen in so many other art forms. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you. And by the way, I really feel like I did notice a turn in your stand up in a great way. And I have been doing stand up like alongside you for many, many years now. And I was actually thinking about this, Eric. Mm -hmm. You helped me get into so many clubs in New York. You helped me get into Granite Village. You helped me get into Comic Strip. And I'm pretty sure you supported me getting into New York. And then I got passed at the cellar like a week after you. I remember or like, that. And I saw you walking and I'm always like seven days, seven days trailing you wherever you, you go. But obviously you've been doing this longer than me, but you've been really supportive. And a lot of comedians, I think, have this fear and maybe it goes hand in hand with the fear you're saying of like undercutting everyone's achievements. But like they're afraid that if they support someone else or like help them out or let them in on something that they're going to somehow be losing I know. at their own game. And you don't seem to have that fear, which is confusing because you're incredibly anxious. I am. But Ali, you know, this is a great point. And I, I love that you brought this up and you're 100 percent right. I became a lot more confident. And I think that that's the whole difference in everything, not just stand-up specifically. That just happens to be the, you know, what we do. But confidence and like being secure are two extremely important qualities, especially in a business that'll just beat you to the ground like this one does. And like, I started to realize, well, a couple of things happened. Because I've been doing stand-up for 12 and almost 13 years now. And, you know, Matt Broussard, who's a buddy of mine, really funny comic. You know, we're really close. And, and he, just told, he just tells me all the time, and I'm totally okay with this, is he goes, you just gone on notice. And, like, and I'm, I'm fine with that. Like, I really am. Because I'm totally fine with being under the radar until I'm not. And, like, and, and I have been unnoticed. And, like, I've been passed on for a million things. I mean, I've been passed on for pretty much every late night set, you know, every- Oh my God. Well, you know what I think about is, and I didn't, I never got JFL, sorry to inter uh, interrupt. But when, when we would audition for Just for Laughs, I remember like my first year auditioning, you were like, this is my seventh and I'm not fucking doing this anymore. Yeah. And I won't. The thing is, is like, I don't have any animosity or anger or anything truly for any of those Obviously, it gives me like the fire, like it helps add to the fire that I have inside of me. Like anything, anytime you get rejected, you should use that positively. Using it negatively is basically being like, I suck. I'm not getting anything. They don't like me. That's neg that's, that's taking it and using it negatively. What you should be doing, and anybody who saw The Last Dance during the pandemic um, would know this, is taking it and being like, okay, challenge accepted. I'm just going to be so funny that like, I'm just not going to get denied. And you always will get denied. It's unrealistic to ever get to a place where you don't get denied, but it's the mentality. It's having that mentality and saying, okay, I've been passed on JFL for seven callbacks, seven years of callbacks. No problem. I, I see you. I'm just going to take that and just use it as motivation to just get more funny than I would have before. 
And that's what it's about. So like, I don't have any like resentment towards not getting JFL because what it did was it helped me learn how to a, first of all, everything you get, every opportunity, every audition just helps you get stronger. So like I learned if it wasn't for all the JFL auditions, I probably wouldn't be as good at getting like a five minute audition set together. And like, you know, that emotional process of like, I got to put this together and like, oh, this is tomorrow. I have to like make sure all this is set. And I want to, and I want to run it 50 times to make sure that like, I don't go too fast or I have every word down. And then I got it perfectly for five minutes, which is what the requirement is. Like any deadline or anything like that is helping you become stronger. So like, I actually like that I did seven years of auditions because I know how to audition now. So like, I think that's what's important. And so going back to the whole like confidence, feeling secure about yourself thing is like, I felt so insecure for so long because everybody was just like, everybody always told me the same thing. Like whether it was like a manager, an agent, a late night booker, you know, JFL, like anything, Comedy Central, all this was just- What was, what were they saying? It was always like, well, we think you're really funny. You're, you know, or like you're in like the, on the short list of people. Like it was always that. It was always making me feel like I was close, but they would never give it to me. And that sort of inspired me to just, and motivated me to just be like, you know what, man? Like clearly I have to take my career in my own hands. And like, Nobody's going to give it to me. I've realized that already. Like, so I just have to like do it myself. And that's when as reluctant as I was to like join TikTok, because I was like, it's a stupid app where like 16 year old girls are dancing. I was like, you know what, man, like, I'm just going to do this myself and I'm just going to try and see what happens. And like, thankfully, like it's gone in the right direction for me. And so I'm just going to keep doing that. And like, I truly like any rejection you get, you should find a way to spin it positively. Just use it as motivation, honestly. No, I mean, I appreciate all of that. I'm someone who, and I'm, I don't know if you get like this. I, I mean, I know we talk about the anxiety thing, but I get really like depressed. I go to a really depressed place. Mm-hmm. So of course it makes sense to, to believe in yourself and say, no, despite all of these things, I have faith in what I'm doing and I'm just going to fuel my fire with this. But it's like, it's hard to actually put that in practice, especially when social media every day, I go on Instagram to post something and I see someone got something or someone is on some list or they got a part and it like the noise becomes really intimidating to the point where I try and not go on social media. Are you like, what is now that you're on TikTok and like that kind of has been, you know, this lightning rod for you? How do you uh, deal with like all of the mental health stuff of social media? And I hear what you're saying. You're, you're able to turn all of this into fuel, but. Yeah. So that's a great. So, so first of all, I want to address what you first said, because like I went through an emotionally grueling process of seeing people get things that I thought I deserved more than them for years. And finally, I just really logically talked myself into a place where I went like, okay, if I didn't get that, it just wasn't mine to get. And that's theirs and that's fine. And I could disagree or agree with that person getting that thing, but it doesn't matter. The emotional investment that you put, the mental energy and emotional energy it takes to get depressed or go through that process of getting upset about somebody else getting something is just not worth it. It's got to be eyes on the prize and it's got to be like, okay, 
What do I need to accomplish? You know, Amy Hawthorne, who's the booker at New York, who I love, and she's like a friend of mine now, she always said this thing that I thought was great. She always said like eyes on your own paper. And like, I think that's like a really accurate thing. Like, I think like, I think if you're going to go down that road of getting jealous or upset about somebody else getting something that you didn't get or you wanted, that is a really dangerous place to be mentally and emotionally. Like, because all day long, you could spend your entire day, your entire week, your entire month, the rest of your life scrolling through Instagram and seeing shit that other people got and being upset about it or depressed. You just have to say, no, fuck that. Like, like I'm pushing back on that initial feeling because you're going to have the feeling and it's natural to have it. And it's, and you can, you got to accept that about yourself. Like I, I looked at it I go, okay, Eric, I was like, you're going to see shit on here. That's going to make you upset. So what are you going to do? Are you going to allow yourself to go down that that hole of just being upset and I suck and I'm not getting this and I'm depressed or whatever, or are you just going to go, okay, it stings. I'm going to accept the fact that it stings. I'm going to get hurt for a few minutes, whatever it is. And then I'm going to go, okay, what do I have to do now? And, and that's it. And that's, that's the difference. That's the difference between Eric now and Eric five years from now. I mean, five years ago, five years ago, I would have gone down that rabbit hole that you're talking about. I would have been like fucking, fucked up over it. I suck texting my friends. Like, how come they got it? Do I suck? Am I doing something wrong? No, trust yourself. Just be like, you know what? Whatever. It's just not my thing to get, you know? And by the way, Ali, this is the important thing to remember. You have a lot of stuff that other people want. And like, you've been on Fallon, like you have a large social media following. You're in at the cellar. Like these are three things that most comedians in the world would kill to have and you're and you're forgetting that you have them because you're just focused on the shit that you don't have you know what i'm saying i i i uh, yeah i mean i know it's it's one of these things where i will and i have a question about what you just said about five years ago i would have gone down that rabbit hole but i hear you and i often have to ground myself in appreciating that the accomplishments i have made and i i try to not forget all of the strides i've made it is one of these kind of moving target situations of in five years, I would like to have these things. You get these things. And then it's, oh God, I could just be if I was this. And my girlfriend, who Eric is wildly attracted to, oh, talk, so much. Talk, talks about this and a lot. Your girlfriend and I would kill to have your girlfriend. I know, I know. <laughs> so talks about this a lot where uh, people have this philosophy of if I do, if I do, then I get to have, then I can be. So for example, if I do a stand-up hour, I'll have tons of fans and then I can finally be happy. So do, then have, then be. When in reality, it's what you're saying, where if I am happy, if I be, then I'll finally be able to create the hour from like this heart space and then I'll have fans. So it's reversing that, this idea of you get to be something once you have something right. when really it needs to come from the being. Well, that very interesting. And I love it. And by the way, the notion of being happy, I truly don't understand. Like, I don't know what happy is. I'm, I, I have no idea. And I don't know. Totally. Totally. I have no idea what it is either. I don't know if I am or I'm not. People ask, are you happy? I have no idea what it means. I can't answer the question. I don't think you can either. And I think you think you know what it means, but like, not you, I'm just saying like the general. Yeah. But, now I know. But I will say this, like, I know 
And I, this is the thing I'm sure of. And, I, and this is the most uncertain business in the world. And I, have no, I really don't know much. The one thing I figured out is that if I look back at the end of my career and think mm-hmm. I went for it, I did everything I could. Whenever I felt a moment of I'm not doing this well enough, I tried to do that thing better. And, mm-hmm. and really, it's about being honest with yourself. And like, I know you're not a big Kobe fan, but... I was going to bring up Kobe. And this, I was about to bring up Kobe for you because I was there when you performed the night Kobe died. Oh, yeah, I know. Wow, I was in a really, really, really bad place. Yeah, I, yeah that, was, that was really... I should have gone on stage, actually. But I, I actually thought you were like amazingly dark. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I definitely went, it was a little too much for a charity event. I'll put it to you that way. But um, yeah, that was, that was a little wrong. The, the interesting thing about it was, and I think I want to talk about this at some point, actually, and you just reminded me to do that. Like, it was for my buddy Dan's mom's anniversary yeah. of her death. Dan like, Altano. Show, her benefit. Dan Altano, really funny comic, super hardworking, great guy. And like, he had, so he's a close friend of mine. So he was basically like, will you, will you do a spot on the show? And I was like, it's for the one year anniversary of your mom's death. And like, they were raising money for her, for her charity. So like, of course mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. And then Kobe right. died that day. And I made the, the set more about Kobe's death than her death. And like, and which is wrong, but I really couldn't help it. And like, but, but anyway, so the thing about Kobe that I want to just get into here real quickly is like, mm-hmm. I'm still really devastated over the death, but like, I remember. T- and by the way, I, I just jokingly told you I wasn't a Kobe fan. Oh, really? Yeah, I would just do that to egg you on because oh. I knew how obsessed you are. Dan oh. Perlman and I actually agreed to just always tell you we didn't think Kobe was oh, that special. Hilarious. That's really funny, actually. But I remember literally three weeks before he died, you guys were talking shit about Kobe. And I was like, all right, no, no, I can't. I can't have this conversation. I cannot have this. I know. The, the beauty about Kobe Bryant was that like, and this is like w- w- one reason I loved him so much. Kobe will admit in like every video, if you watch videos about Kobe, them interviewing him, he will always say that he never thought he was the most talented in the NBA and not even close. He was like, I was fast, but I wasn't super fast. And I had a, I had a good vertical, but I didn't have a great vertical. And I was quick, but I wasn't that quick. And like, just, and I was a good shooter, but I wasn't a great shooter. Like he would always say that. And like, but this guy outworked everyone. And like, the thing about Kobe was that, and I think this this is the place where like, I want to get, is he was very, very honest with himself. He was like, okay, the season would end. And he'd be like, okay, I clear, he'd watch tapes from the previous season. And he'd be like, ah, I'm not that good at the post-up game. Like I need to get better at posting up. And he would like call whoever the best post-up player in NBA history was. And he'd be like, hey, could you just like walk me through for a week? Like how you post up? Could we like train together or whatever? So he would find his flaws. He would be very honest with himself. And he would say, look, do I want to, I'm not above it. Do I want to get better at this particular thing? Yes. I want to get better at everything. So whatever my flaws are, I'm going to address them and try to rectify them as quickly as possible. And that's what it's about. And that's what I, that no matter what I get or don't get, no matter what I get passed on or whatever, or whatever I get, you know, granted to me or given to me or whatever, or I earn or don't earn, I just want to know that at the end of the day, at the end of all this shit, that I really went for it and that I tried everything I could. And like, I think that's where fulfillment comes, not happiness, because I don't really know what fucking happiness means. But I think I can, I can live with that. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I'm really like impressed by that as your philosophy. And I, I knew you loved Kobe and I knew that you had this work ethic and to an extent these beliefs, but you sound really actualized in all of them. And I'm curious what you said, Eric, five years ago would have done this. What was the turning point five years ago where you were, what happened? You know, I think the pandemic, I'm not even going to say I used five years ago as just an arbitrary number, but I Uh truly think the pandemic changed me more than anything. I really Mm. do. I think, and it's so insensitive to say this shit, the pandemic was the highlight of my career and, and so far. And the reason that what, okay. So like I said about the Kobe thing, where like Kobe would be like, I need to work on my footwork in the post. And then he would like ask like Bernard King, like, Hey, can you, you know, Hakeem Olajuwon, whatever. I realized that there were certain comics that walked into the room and made me nervous mm-hmm. and, and it bothered me. I never got bothered as much by not killing like the laughs themselves weren't what really made me happy or not happy. It was being myself up there because you can't control the crowd. We don't fucking know who these people are. There's a hundred people in the room. We have no idea what their day was like. We have no idea like what led to them being there, what they're going through, whether they're cool, shitty, great people, horrendous people, great sense of humor, terrible sense of humor. We don't know these people. We just know that there's a hundred people in the room, right? So Mm -hmm. I think I was pretty aware of that. I was like, I don't know who these fucking people are. So getting laughs, obviously you want to kill every time. And I'm not going to, and I'll tell you that, that not getting laughs always hurt me a lot. It Mm -hmm. did. Like I would listen back to recordings. If I found one joke in my set that didn't get pop or I knew it bombed, it bothered me. It really ate Mm -hmm. me. But what I realized ate at me even more than that was how I reacted to it. And like, could I stay composed? Could I, could I stay strong up there? Because that's what it's about. You need to be able to stay strong no matter what happens to you on stage. And what I realized was that I would crumble. Maybe the crowd wouldn't see it, but internally I would get affected by it. And that yeah. bothered me. And what I did during the pandemic was like at Stellar, for example, when like everything was shut down, Liz, who's the Stellar general manager, who I love so much and I've I've gotten much closer to over time. She like, she's so, I mean, she's just a warrior. And she was like, I want to keep comedy alive during this time. And even before comedy clubs were allowed to operate again, she like did this thing where every night comedians would sign up like text her and be like, can we go up? And it would be like dinner. This was when like, I think it was the day was September 30th. We were allowed to do dining in New York at like 25. I remember this. Yeah. So she was like, okay, we won't advertise it as a comedy show since you can't, we won't, we won't sell tickets to a comedy show since you can't, but we can do is we can do dinner and just like have a little stage and have comedians go up and talk. Like what people are just talking at dinner. There's no comedy. So yeah. So we would perform behind glass and what I quickly realized, and I had been hosting at the cellar for almost a year and I quickly realized like nobody wanted to open. So I was like, I'll open. Like, I I don't want to cheat myself out of getting better. Like I'll open. I know this is a hard situation for me, but I want to try it. And I realized that like, because I'm such a sensitive, naturally sensitive person 
And there were certain comics I didn't want to see me perform at the cellar. Like I would be like, oh, yeah. I hope they're not watching, you know, that kind of thing. And I, oh, recall, God, yeah. I, right. And we, we all, we all can relate to this. I think I was like, I need to be so strong that it doesn't matter who's watching me bomb. I need that. I need to be okay with it. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, that's all ultimately where you want. Other comics in the room psych me out more than the crowd. Oh, for sure. I always cared about me and Dan Altano have an argument about this. He cares about the audience. I care about the comics. And I think that's because I know that I could do great with the audience, but I've always been like a little insecure about what comics think about me. And I think that me too. Right. And so I think I, I needed to get over that hurdle. I needed to go look Eric. And I had a very honest, like talk with myself. I was like, I was like, I need to get to a place where whatever comic walks in and watches me doesn't affect me. Like, yeah. and, and I don't know if that's an achievable thing, like where it won't affect at you the cellar when it's, when it's Chris Rock and David Chappelle. And no, but, but I at least needed to get as close to as possible with it. You know, who knows how achievable it really is, but like, let's get as close as we can. So I was yeah. Liz, put me up first every night behind this glass for sometimes seven people who are literally eating and sometimes Louis CK will be in the corner of the room at the table watching. And Ali, I got to tell you, like I had some brutal, brutal sets. I mean, like, like I remember there was this one, I mean, I, I can't, it's like unforgettable. I mean, Liz and I still talk about it where it was like a they weren't turning any people away. And there was like a family foreign family with a baby, like a, a, a one-year-old baby. And it was seven people. One of the booths was that family with the baby. And then there was like a, a table full of comics and great comics. It was Louis CK. Let's see who else was it. Louis, uh, Joe List, Norman, uh, I think Mac, Morel, and just Renan and Eagle and like all these comics. And Ugh, and I had to open. It's a nightmare. And I was really bombing. I mean, really bombing. And then the baby cried. I did this Hitler joke and the baby started crying. And the, oh my God. And the comics table just went nuts. They were hysterically laughing and applauding. And it was like, I don't know, it was like good and bad. You know, it was like, I was like a badge of honor type thing. Yeah. And I was just like, they were like, okay, we acknowledge like how terrible this situation is for you, you know? And yeah. I just realized like as, as much as it hurt, I realized like those situations just make you stronger. And you yes. never try to shy away from things that make you stronger. And mm -hmm. like, so I, I consider the pan comically, I consider that time, I, I really appreciate it. And I consider it, consider it like probably the most important in terms of growth in my career so far. Yeah, that is so awesome. I, I, now I'm remembering Liz and some folks at the cellar talking about the baby crying. Oh, that's a lot. And I'm, and I'm placing that. I'm still sitting with a lot of your advice and it feels like, I don't know. It feels like you're in a good, you're in a really good place, which I, is weird I, to say to a comedian. Well, no, I appreciate that. I, I just think that I like, again, I think it goes back to that whole thing of just like me being myself, like, like me being comfortable on stage is more important than whether the crowd laughs or not. I think, mm -hmm. and like, I think I'm just more comfortable behind the scenes too. Like, I think I'm more comfortable being me and just realizing like, this is who I am. And I think it just has a lot to do with my growth as a person. I think your growth as a person affects your growth as a comic a lot and like, and vice versa. So I think. Yeah, of course, of course. 
Uh, that makes total sense. Eric, tell people where they can find you. My Instagram and TikTok are exactly the same. So it's at I'm, I-M, E-R-I-C-N-E-U-M-A-N-N, at I'm Eric Newman. And uh, yeah, follow me there. 